We are in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Um, any, any guesses when last we met? March 8th. N- not me. You guys might have. Oh, that's right. You were gone. I was gone. I left... I left the last Sunday school. I actually had to listen to the last Sunday school. <laughs> Thank you. I praise God we record it. Because uh, I, I was like, where was I? You know, how far through my lesson did I get? And I actually finished my lesson, so that was helpful. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. Um, February 16th wow. was the last time we got together here. Um, and so I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to rehash everything. Probably wouldn't hurt. Um, it's like, uh, do I reread the Bible again? I read it last year. Yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, well, I'm not going to eat this year. What? Are you kidding? Stupid. Why are you stupid? All right. Um, some things I just want to touch on from the previous four lessons uh, that we had together. One is just the the profound power of Genesis 1-1. It is a bedrock. It is within there, within this, is the, the rock of philosophy. Most philosophies hang on nothing. You know, world views where you go, well, where did, where did people come from? Where, why is there something rather than nothing? What about matter? What about space and time? Boom. Genesis 1.1. The why of existence. God created the heavens and the earth. The who of God. The God who was before there was things created. We looked at that in our men's group yesterday. The glories of Jesus Christ as creator, spoken of in, and that kind of, I'm bleeding over into the triune nature of God in the creation. But John 1, verse 3 explains that God the Son created all things that were created. Meaning, he was not created. He is outside of the creation. He is other than the creation. He is an uncreated being. Within God is being itself. There is no other being like God. What about time? You know, is time, you know, there are a thousand different timelines or weirdness. No, time began... In Genesis 1.1. And time is linear. It is going in a particular direction. Science fiction loves to play with. You know. The alternate timelines. And bouncing between timelines. And back in time. And forward in time. And you go, It's novel. And it, and it might force us to look at the realities of our present day existence. But time is running a particular course. In the earlier earlier verses of Genesis 2, of Genesis also, we see the, the hints of the triunity of God. 
there, that the Spirit of God was hovering on the waters in verse 2. We'll get to it a little bit more when we get into the creation of man next week. But we also see it, as I already alluded to, played out in the New Testament in John chapter 1, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 that we looked at yesterday in our men's group, and Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, with regard to the supremacy of Christ and his place within creation. And then the last, in the last lessons that we had together six months ago, or more, more than six months ago, uh, we looked at the process of how God created. So what is God's process in creation? He speaks. He speaks. God creates. He speaks. Boom. From what? From nothing. Yeah, there was nothing. There was nothing. And then there was something. Why is there something? Because God spoke. God spoke. The, the, the word of his power... Hebrews, back to Hebrews again, since we're there. By the word of his power, that he can speak and it all happens. And not only does it happen, but it is sustained by him also, back in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, and Hebrews uh, 1, verses 2 and 3. It is sustained by him. God speaks. We read about light and darkness. The first day. We see a delineation of days. What does it mean that there was evening and there was morning the first day? Does it mean that there was evening and there was morning the second day? Okay. There's there's a there's a distinct regularity here. So you think there was morning the first day, evening and morning the second day. Intervals. Okay, intervals. How long is this interval? Okay. Prior to like eighteen hundred, anybody who read this would go, it was a day. It was a day? It was a day. A day, one day, one day. There's evening, there's morning, the first day. I mentioned this, and it's just worth playing again. When the word yom, day, Hebrew word for day, is attached to a number, it is a 24 hour day. The word yom can also mean an era, the day of Adam. Doesn't mean there's an, an Adam day, it wasn't his birthday day, but the day of Adam is the time of Adam. You know, it's an era. So it can be an era. But whenever there is a number attached to it, in Scripture, it is a day. 24-hour day. One day. You mean the number here is the morning and evening? That's the number? Or no, the first day. The first day. Okay. That's what it says. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. Verse 5. There was evening, there was morning, the second day. Verse 8. 
So whenever there's a number attached to it, elsewhere in scripture, it is always a 24-hour day. So, and that is the plain reading. Uh, last time when we, we spoke, we, we discussed the, some of the difficulties, some of the challenges out there, and I tried to dispel some of those. We can talk about those later, but what I'd like to do is, is move on here and, and really not arm wrestle about, oh, was it an was it a eon? Was every day an eon? And, and that kind of thing. I really want to just anchor on what God's word says here. Um, let God's word have its day. Is it Spurgeon? God's word is like a lion. Just let the lion out of its cage and it'll do its thing. You know, let, let the lion go. Lion will take care of itself. So, so we're going to press on here in the days. And we're actually, my, my intent is to bounce through the days of creation in really an overview kind of fashion. So, uh, Joseph over there, I would like you, if you are willing, please, sir, to read verses 6 through 8. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault the sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Joseph's word is vault. Any other words? Expanse. Canopy. What translation? Uh, ESV footnote. Okay. <laughs> is that okay? Okay. I meant the, uh, how, how the translators translated yeah, it. Expanse. KJV, I believe, is firmament. Yeah, I have that. That's okay. King James. Yeah. Firmament. Right. So. King Jimmy. So God created again. How did God create? How did God do what he did? Okay. He's still speaking. He is speaking things. And things are happening. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. I wanted to just, this, this shouldn't just lay here for us in Genesis 1 to turn back to from time to time. But really, what we are reading here should have a glorious impact on our life. In Psalm 33, Psalm 33, a psalm of soaring praise, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Okay, the psalmist seemed to think this was literally what God did. And by the breath of his mouth, as Katie's breathing on her hand, all their host. He gathered the waters of the sea as a heap. He put he puts the deeps in storehouses. Then he goes from this. He says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. What should this do? 
for the saints to read this? It should be, it should fill us with praise. And these things happened. Okay, so what happened here? Let there be a vault and expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. So you can, you can think, of the, you know, think of it like an Oreo cookie. The waters are the chocolate cookie, and the expanse is the cream filling. Okay? So that's kind of the What is this that he has made? Great word. Okay? So this vault... This expanse, this firmament, is our atmosphere. What are the waters that are under the vault? Yeah, and we're gonna see. We're gonna see that as yet there was no land. And when the spirit of God hovered upon the waters, the earth was covered in water. At this point. So there is water on the earth. There is our atmosphere and there is water above the atmosphere. Is that what it says? Am I misreading that? I thought they're saying that it's like the sky and that if we're calling the atmosphere you know, notionally from 80 to 350,000 feet, um, that up in that area there's more water up there and the chemicals in that are what creates the blanket of the atmosphere so that really does behave like a vault so that way the vacuum of space isn't pulling the air that's in the vault in the middle there into space. He seems to think, the confused writer of Genesis seems to think that there's water above the atmosphere. Is that, is that how it reads? I don't know. It reads that way. The water's from the water. What about when God caused the flood and it's like the heaven were opened? I mean, for it to have rained for 40 days and 40 nights, there had to have been a lot of water up there. Yes. You go, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Now, also within the flood, the vaults of the earth were opened. And the vaults of heaven. And so God went, we're done. Do we see this anymore? Do we see waters above the atmosphere? In the atmosphere. We do. We, we, see it, we see it in the atmosphere. There is moisture. I mean, we know there's humidity. The air holds you in humidity. There's... We've got, we got terminology now that says they can weigh a cloud. Can you? The rain looks like it's coming from above, so that's the way I would say that. To it is. Understanding, to Moses' understanding, it's like it's coming out. 
but see, we're, we're saying Moses is stupid. He really doesn't get... I would say he's writing in a way that people can understand it. Well, but he was writing inspired by God. So this is how God chose to reveal it to us. Absolutely. So we should dismiss what it says then because it was written to stupider people, right? No. No, absolutely not. It's either true or it's not. It either was this way or it was not. God does speak in anthropomorphisms that we might understand. That God's eye looks across the land. Well, God is spirit. There is no flesh. He has no eyeballs. The right arm of God works salvation. Does God have a right arm? And God the Son, yes, he does. But as God the Spirit, no, he doesn't. And so, and this is, this is kind of what we wrestled with last time, was we want to bring what we have all been taught in school into this. If it distorts, if it distorts what it says, one of them is wrong. And, and what, I, what I alluded to last time is, at best, if this is not true, God is not a very good communicator. Do I have to understand the audience that received a letter in the New Testament. Do I have to understand 1 Timothy is being written to a young pastor? Yes. Okay, I have to understand that context. That doesn't mean I nullify what's written in there. I just simply understand who it's written to. That doesn't mean I change or distort what Paul said to Timothy. Well, he was talking to a pastor, and so I really... I can nullify that to pastors today because we know so much more as pastors today than Timothy surely knew at that point. So Abigail has been studying um, historic astronomers. And just this past week, she did uh, a report on Galileo, who was like put under house arrest or kicked out of the church. I can't remember which one. Yeah. Because he believed that the sun was the center of the universe of our solar system and not the earth and the church looked at scripture to say that he couldn't be right so how would you like give us wisdom to because sometimes science does seem to con- to refute what scripture Good. is great saying. question <coughs> so to look at the passages that were used against Galileo, and you look at them, in actuality, they don't refute what he's saying. Any more than the weatherman who says, the sun rose this morning at 6.38 a.m. Do we go, he's a moron. The earth actually rotated to reveal the sun still in its place. So the earth's rotation revealed the sun. That's what we should call it now. The earth's rotation reveals the sun at 6.38 a.m. You go, that's absurd. Okay, it is like an anthropomorphism, the sunrise. We speak of the sunrise because that's what it appears to do. That is not what it does, and that does not 
negate scripture. It is a, it is a common, common understanding of a, a phenomenon there. That way. So, what happens if, if I hear about something in science that seems to conflict with the word of God there was a day where we went, God's word is supreme, something must be amiss over here, okay? Or the, the humble man is going to go, well, let me look at what scripture does say, and have I misread this there? Is he really just talking about clouds? But if, if I go out right now, I go, you know, on a clear blue sky day, I look up, I go, there's not a lick of moisture up there. There isn't. It's just not there. Yeah, there's, okay, again, there's humidity in the air, but that's doesn't seem to be what he's talking about here. Especially when you think of the waters on the earth separated from the waters above the earth. They seem to be of similar kind. Okay, and kinds are going to come into play here also. Please. I, so I looked up the New Living, just out of curiosity, and it's, very clear in our vernacular, it seems to me, because it says, yeah, uh, let there be a space, so it says space, between the waters, to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. I mean, they're identical. It's very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, to philosophize outside of it, you go, yep, based on what God's word says and ultimately what comes to play I can be very comfortable in going, that's what happened. Right there. Especially in light of what's going to happen in mm, six chapters. There's God destroys the earth. So you're saying at one point there was water above the atmosphere mm -hmm. and that water is gone now? Yes. And that water is used as a pump? Yes. Is it an assumption, maybe? Uh, it is... It is, but considering it rained on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, that moisture's got to come from somewhere. I mean, we've seen, some, we've seen some doozy rains here, but not 40 days worth. Then where did it go? Great question. Where did it go? Because I thought it was a fire pit below. <laughs> you know what it is. The core of the earth. <laughs> okay. I mean, we're, get, we're getting into... Sorry. God spoke and something came out of nothing, then theoretically he didn't need the water to be there above the atmosphere. There's another potential that he could have just said, let it rain 40 days and 40 nights. And so it was. <laughs> he could have. That's another possibility. But his creation was completed on the sixth day. So um, what this would have done is really create a greenhouse effect around the entire earth. Okay, there would be essentially a canopy filtering out ultraviolet radiation from the sun there and making it tropical all over the earth. And so you would expect maybe that you would find tropical fauna and stuff in, buried in the ice of the Arctic and the Antarctic. 
Oh, wait, we do. Hmm, golly, ferns? Yep, sure enough. You know, where did all of the biomass buried under the ice in Antarctica come from? From all the biomass that was there when all that happened. So that's philosophizing. We're just going by what it says here. This is what it says. So do I want to wiggle around that or am I going to buy what it says? It says what it says. There. Um, what are those implications? <clears throat> they could be many. Uh, a, I know a lot of people will dismiss answers in Genesis, but answers in Genesis talks of this significantly and extensively about the possibility of this tropical paradise, really, on the earth at that time. Excuse me. What, what did God call this expanse? That's heaven. That's heaven? What, the middle? Yeah, this is heaven. No, the middle is sky. No, God says heaven. My translation says God called the expanse heaven. Capital H. Capital H, heaven. Wait, so what's sky? There are various heavens in scripture. I'm in verse, oh, I was, verse 8. Yes, just different translation. Different translation. Yeah, mine says mm -hmm. Sky? For the mm -hmm. NIV. Okay. Good. Good. The word, the word is used in three different ways within scripture. Okay. Um, in Isaiah 66, verse 1, God says, heaven this same word, the same Hebrew word, is my throne. So we understand heaven to be the dwelling place of the living God. Okay? In Psalm 19, verse 1, David says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. What is he speaking of? Celestial space. Stars. Yeah. Space. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a star watcher. I mean, even, even in the city, I'll go out and you know, I'll look for the planets and just amazed by the constellations and on, on a clear night. It's just particularly nice to get out away where you can see the entire Milky Way and watch satellites traverse the sky now and falling, falling stars from time to time. He says, like, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hand. So he's, he's saying he's separated yes. the sky in that case from so, how he's defining heaven. There's the word heaven. And again, these are all the same Hebrew word. Heaven, the place of God's throne. Heaven, the place of the stars, sun and the moon. And heaven, in this sense, is what? The atmosphere. And in verse one, chapter 1, verse 20, it says, let, the birds, let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens, across the expanse of the sky. So our atmosphere is also here 
referred to as the heavens. How many? Three. What did Paul say? Yeah. Like common Jewish or Israelite understanding that there was three, so he said I was called up to the third, third heaven. heaven. In Second Corinthians twelve. Good. All right, so we have here, again, evening and morning, the second day. Um, Let's see. Day three. Verses nine nine and ten. Marie, would you read nine and ten, please? And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters called seas. And God saw that it was good. Okay. So, day one, he creates space and time and the earth. Day two, he puts an atmosphere on the earth. Day three, God brings the land out. Localization of the waters brings the waters into a boundary along the shoreline. Calls them earth and seas, or land and seas. And he makes a qualitative assessment. What does God say about what he has done? Okay. It is good. (coughs) What God has created is good. The earth is good. His creation is good. All that God does is good. God cannot do anything but good. And again, our hearts should soar. But day three is not completed. Jared, would you read 11 through 13, please? Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them and it was so the earth brought forth vegetation plants yielding seed after their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind and God saw that it was good there was evening and there was morning a third day good so What does God create here? Land and plants. Land and plants. What is peculiar about the plants? They reproduce. Okay. They have the ability to gather seeds. Okay. Fruit bearing plants, seed bearing plants. He doesn't get into the differentiation between nuts and legumes, which I'm so thankful. But he says they're in accordance with their kind. If I have an acorn in my hand, what will that become? It will become an oak tree. Is there any chance it could be a stalk of corn? No. No. 
the acorn an oak tree? No. It is the seed. <coughs> as soon as that seed germinates, you have the start of an oak tree. Little though it might be. Hmm, okay, it's interesting. But we know that it is an oak tree. What kind of, so this oak, okay, we plant the acorn. Couple of years, this tree starts dropping seeds. What are those seeds gonna look like? Acorns. And you're like, oh, this guy's really stupid. Yeah, acorns. And we plant those and they're gonna sprout and grow oak trees, which is gonna produce acorns, which perpetuity. Yes, yes. Is it going to become an elm tree? No, can't. In its genetic coding, it is an oak tree. That's all it is. It's an oak tree. To the glory of God. To the praise and the glory of God. God says it is good. God creates plants. What has he not yet created? Okay, hasn't created animals. What do plants need to survive? Bumblebees. They need, they, they need light. Do they need the sun? You know, it's very interesting to know in, in God's created realm, he creates light on the first day. He doesn't create the things that will give light to the earth until the fourth day. But here on the third day, he has created the plants. And he sustains them with the light that probably the light of his being there, the manifestation of his glory, that would be a surmise, but because yeah. And so again, you know, if these are eons, then God is sustaining the plants for eons without the sun there because he doesn't create the sun until the next day. So God, what we, what we see here is God has created spaces in day one, two, and three, he's created the heavens and the earth. He's created the atmosphere. He's now created land. And now in days four, five, and six, he's going to fill those spaces with critters and things. So off we go into day four. And, and if anybody has any questions or and any other, hey, what about how comes, uh, please uh, bring them up. And, you know, whether it's a, uh, a hard question, or even if you might feel it's uh, contrary, but it's worth asking. Uh, verse 14 through 19, please, David. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. 
And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning. How big is the universe? That's my answer, Jerry, because I don't know. know. You hear all the time, you know, finding, you know, there's like as many uh, galaxies. There's, There's as many galaxies out there as stars we can see. And the only stars we can see are in our own galaxy with the naked eye. Edwin Hubble was actually the guy who started finding all these other galaxies out there. So you go, yeah, it's really big. There are, there are planets orbiting stars that we'll never know about. Why are they there? God's good pleasure. God's pleasure. God's good pleasure. Why does the flower bloom on the side of Mount Everest that nobody ever climbs, that flower blooms and dies and nobody ever sees it? God's glory. God's pleasure. Heavens declare the handiwork of God and He is glorified in what we see and He's glorified in what we don't see. And what we don't see. Why, why does Genesis tell us that God put these things in the heavens? What are some of the reasons that Moses gives us? To give light on the earth. Okay, to light the earth. When? Day and night. Day and night. Go to measure time in verse 14. Okay, to delineate time. You know, for years and years and years and years and years. What, what times were delineated by the heavens? Instead of a watch. The seasons. The seasons. Day and night. The years. The phases of the moon is why we have months. And it demarks how regular is this cycle? Very. Set your watch by. It says to be used as signs. Comets. Comets have rotational values of thousands or hundreds of years, and that is a sign. God is going. There's a long expanse. God uses the heavens for signs as well. Does that play out anywhere in scripture? The wise men. The magi. Anywhere else? In the Revelation. We see also very significant signs in the heavens that are going to precede the coming of the Lord. How, How did they get there? How did all these things get there? God spoke. They're there. What's holding them in place? The same thing that we looked at there. 
You know, why, so, but if we were to go, why does the Earth travel around the sun? Gravity. Gravity. Okay, and we get that. I mean, we go, I can see the effects of gravity. It's constant. My pen falls at the same. We could measure it and goobers and all those kinds of things. It's really fascinating. The, the, the mathematics, the precise mathematics behind gravity and the mass of a planet and... Is pulling it away. Yeah. It. It, yeah. Instead of it just going, <laughs> you know, why doesn't the Earth then go like my pen does? And you know, you know, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing dance. And what is the Earth hanging on? Nothing. Nothing. Job. I think there's a passage in Job that says he hangs the Earth on nothing. On nothing. Random thing that if you look out like at the equator or near the northern hemisphere, the Milky Way is like to the south mm -hmm. and it's close to almost vertical. And I'm pretty sure that if we're in the southern hemisphere, if the Milky Way is kind of to the north, and yeah. it's almost like on our axis of the earth. If you took the axis of the earth and moved it like that, that would be perpendicular to the plane of the galaxy. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. Really like precise, like how, how that, how the whole thing is. So, the solar system is within plane of the galaxy. Geeky, geeky guy who looks at the planets. If you go out and if there are multiple planets, you go there, there, and there, and there's the moon. It's like they're all on a line out there. You know, it's not like some of the planets are going this way and some of them are going this way. Go, you go there. There's that still holds true for one of them, isn't it? I can't see that one. They're ellipses, but, but I think they're on the same plane or yeah. close to the same plane. So this is, you, you go, this is glorious. What a God. What an extraordinary God out there. And how different are all of these planets that God has given us the wisdom to examine these things, even now, the gas giants and and Mars, you know, the bare rock and, and Earth with all of its splendor and, and Venus with all of its poison and, you know, a little mercury out there, a little matchstick on the, uh, in the cosmos. And God says all of these things are good. Fourth day. Fifth day. Let the waters swarm, verse 20. With swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. According to their kind. The creatures of the sea are uniquely created to live in the sea. Uh, 
a Cuvier's beaked whale has set the record for known dives of a mammal. 6,000 feet. One mile below the surface of the ocean, hunting for food. And it doesn't have to, like, okay. It just comes back up, hangs out for a while, does it again. It'll do it multiple times a day for food. Like it's nothing. Like it's just going for a swim a mile below the ocean. Our deepest submarines, like our deepest military submarines, 1,000 feet. Special pressurized hull so the whole thing doesn't just go crunch because of the extraordinary pressure of the ocean. The deepest free dive by a human being is like, like 700 feet, which is extraordinary free diving. Those guys are bananas. Yeah. Holy buckets. Those guys are... But, I mean, that's, that's no oxygen. You know, and if you're not breathing oxygen, then the, the problem with the bends is not a factor. But these whales are like nothing. Their lungs, which are probably as big as I am, you know, squish down to the size of like a walnut while they're under the water. God, God, I can do that. Incredible. And they don't have a problem with the bends. Come back up. Like, no problem. Like, it's nothing. Kind. The Cuvier's beaked whale does not become a great white shark. It doesn't. It procreates and begets Cuvier's beaked whales, little ones. According to their kind. What does God do here with these creatures that he hasn't done yet? Bless them. He blesses them. He blesses them. He speaks to them. I, I, was, I was getting visions of Dr. Doolittle here. But he, he talks to the animals. The living God speaks to and commands the animal hosts. What's he tell them to do? Be careful about how many eggs that you lay. You should probably only have one or two eggs per fishy over there because we don't want the oceans to teem too much. No, he says fill, fill, fill the oceans. Fill the oceans, fill the skies, fill the earth. Fill the oceans. <coughs> Multiply. Multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. This is God's blessing. Interesting. Day six. We're going to just touch on day six, the first half of the, the land critters. God said, let the earth bring forth, verse 24, living creatures according to their kinds. Living, or life, living stock. Livestock and creeping things. Everyone loves the creeping things. And the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Again, all of creation, all of the six days of creation, God says is good. So we go, okay, that's 
interesting. Reading through that, just thinking about these things. Well, how come? What about? Yes, that's probably going to raise questions. But what should what should these passages do for us as believers today? Why would I go back and read this again? I read it once. There's a group of dudes called the started something called the Discovery Institute. Bunch of guys with all kinds of letters behind their names. Eggheads. They're scientists, PhDs, you know, huge philosophers, biologists, astronomers, all these guys. A couple of them wrote a book called The Privileged Planet. And the whole point behind the book, The Privileged Planet, is the really weird peculiar, unbelievable nature of the earth. That it is a planet on which there is life. Because of the gravitational constant of the universe, because of its place in relationship to the sun and with the other planets in our solar system, because of its place within the Milky Way galaxy, that we can see the things that we can see because of the unique gravitational pull of the moon upon the oceans. And oh, by the way, that is almost exactly the same shape as the sun when it passes right in front of the other based upon how far the moon is away from the earth and how unlikely it is. And I actually heard something this week on secular radio or maybe it was an article in Drudge um, about how scientists are finding that there are just no other planets out there that can sustain life. You go, hmm. Golly. You mean like God had intention and purpose? And he does. He does. And really, as believers, it shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't yawn. The creation should make my heart soar. I mean, I know Joseph's climbed a lot of mountains. Man, it's just got to make your heart sing. There are no mountains around here, but there are still beautiful things. There, there are things to see in God's beauty, in his amazing creation. And we're going to look at man next week. Um, so I, I hope that God's word will really inflame your heart to the glories of the God that we serve.